It says in the scripture that we are one nation under God. Are you blessed to be a nation where God is honored? Kids, you may be dismissed to head down to Children's Chapel. Listen to this and watch this video and listen to this song. It's called Under God. The resolve of our great nation is being tested. But make no mistake, we will show the world that we will pass this test. God bless you. Sheltered by 
Amen. Go ahead. <laughs> I just want to do something this morning. Let's just all stand to our feet. I just want to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And I'm just so thankful that America has been blessed. So as we stand in honor of this great nation and of the flag, if you'll just please uh, say with me the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You may be seated. Today I'll be speaking out of Psalms chapter 33, Psalms 33, so if you'll please turn in your Bible with me. And today's message title is called One under God. And I started thinking about, you know, oneness and the unity of oneness and what does oneness mean? And, you know, we talk about the body and I'm going to be going into to that this morning, but I want to really focus more on what do we do? Are we a community? Are we Christian people that really uh, exalt the Lord under uh, the headship of God the Father, and as we as a body, are we exalting Him? Before I move forward in my message, I just want to give a shout out to Drew and Laura Roholt. Their little boy was born at 1.28 a.m. on Saturday. He was 8 pounds, 3 ounces, 20 inches long, and his name is Henrik Andrew Roholt. So, uh, you know, we're, we're excited for him. Also, I don't know if you noticed in, in the prayer warriors page as well, little Brody Mac decided while mom and dad were outside that he was thirsty on this hot day. And uh, he said, I'm going to go ahead and try out car washer fluid. And so last evening, I got a phone call and uh, Brody is back home. He is resting. They did some blood work and so on and so forth. So uh, they're just going to try. I think they're trying to flush what they think. They don't know how much he drank, but it was all over him. So I'm sure that, you know, what is Brody? Is he three now? He will be three, correct? So uh, inquisitive minds want to know. And uh, so, you know, and I understand that and I see that in his life. But, you know, he's a, he's a little dude. And I think when you're thirsty and it's blue like that, it looks like Kool-Aid for, you know, Gatorade or something. And, and now we'll have advertisements about that instead of Tide Pods, right? Jesse says to me, she says, Preacher, I just don't get it. Why didn't that lock mechanism work on top of that windshield washer fluid? I said, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't tightened down or something like that. She said, because it just didn't, it just didn't work as effectively as she had hoped. So let's just read out of Psalms chapter 33 this morning. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise his deep. Hey, are you kidding me? I know. See, every time I say praise, she's just worshiping. Praise is calmly for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him with psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loves righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. 
gather the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the the counsel of the heathen to naught. He makes the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever and the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, then the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. In 2003, final of the U.S. Open Tennis Championship was an awesome display of power and skill. Venus and Serena Williams survives upwards of almost 100 miles per hour. I don't know about you. I know about myself. I don't want to be in the way of a ball going 100 miles an hour. I watch my daughter's uh, boyfriend, and they're out there pitching them, and I'm watching them, you know, as they were down there at the, at the state games uh, here last month, and as they're flying down there 89 miles an hour, and you could just almost hear, like, the one time when it hit that kid, it was like, thump. You knew that woke that young man up right now. Yes, he got to walk the base. Reality is 100 miles an hour. Could you imagine serving in a tennis match at 100 miles an hour? These two ladies were sisters, ranked number one and number two in the world, a total of 12 championships between the two of them. Venus with her power serve and long reach, Serena with her powerful backhand brought determination and dominance to the tennis courts. Venus wearing her traditional tennis attire, Serena with her new non-traditional black lacquer tennis where played under the array of bright lights, camera shots, and some pulling for one, and some pulling for the other. It didn't matter who you cheered for or booed, for they would not be divided at the end of the match. Despite their individuality, despite their individual accomplishments, their individual ranking on the tennis circuit, their individual personalities, their individual styles and dress, their individual play, they are, they are still one family under Richard Williams, who was both father and coach. There's another statement of unity and oneness that should affect all of us in this room. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Do you sense the unity there? United States... One nation under God, not plural gods, under one almighty God. Indivisible, and it ends with Pearl. Billy Graham, in an address to a a congregational prayer breakfast, he said he believed that there were many times in the history of America when certain men stood for God and changed the course of its destiny. For example, at the first constitutional convention, the delegates were frustrated due to the burdens of the hour. They were burdened and harassed and had tremendous crisis going on. 
They were so fragmented that they were just about to throw out the whole concept of a constitution completely. Just then, a white-haired man by the name of Benjamin Franklin rose to his feet, and here's what he said. Gentlemen, if it is true that not one single petal from any flower falls to the ground without escaping God's attention, will the distress of this nation go unheeded? Let us, therefore, to determine to seek his face. They promptly got down on their knees. And when they arose from prayer, the slogan, E Pluribus Unum, was born. One out of many. Did you understand what that actually said? One out of many. So I thought this morning that I would look into the scriptures and find out a little bit about what oneness meant and unity. And I know that God the Father, as he was uh, breathing into the word of God and as he was ordaining what should be done, he continually kept emphasizing all through scriptures the importance of oneness. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother... And shall cleave unto his wife, not husband, and they shall be one flesh. Genesis 11, chapter 1 says, And the whole earth was of one language and of what? One speech. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Psalms 14.3 says, they're all gone aside, they're all together become filthy. There is none that does good, no, not one. John 17.20 says, I am not praying for these alone, but also for the future believers who will come to me because of the testimony of these. Verse 21 says, my prayer for all of them is that they will be one heart and one mind, just as you and I are. Father, that just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us, and the world will believe that you sent me. And in Ephesians 4, 4, it says, We're all parts of one body. We have the same spirit, and we have all been called to the same glorious future. For us, there is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and we all have the same God and Father who is over us, all in us all, and living through every One of the things that I speak to so many couples when they come into my office for premarital counseling or just to restore that marriage that might be faltering or failing, I'm always saying be intentional about being one because the Bible says the two shall become one. So if you're intentional about oneness, about the unity coming together, then you're going to accomplish a lot more because you see so many divorces take place in America because we've got her going that direction, he's going that direction, the kids are going that direction, and nothing is being accomplished in the right direction. Do I have to repeat that again? I won't. So we all have to be in one direction and focused on the one that matters. And that 
is God. And this morning, that's what we're here to do is to celebrate and to seek oneness. Setting straight the record that we are one nation under God. Chapter 33, verses 1 through 22, the psalm is a general hymn of praise. And when you read, and as we read this morning, and and you can go deeper into the word if you'd like, but it talks about two important primary themes through that text of praise. Yahweh is the Lord of nature, and then two, he is Lord of history. In biblical thought, these realms are always related. The creator sovereignty rules over his total creation over all creatures throughout time. So number one, we look at the prelude of praise. Verses one through three, it says this, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song and play skillfully with a shout of joy. Now, all of us this morning have been in the practice of praise. And many of us, and I'm hoping that all of us, do a lot of praising of our children. When they have accomplished or they've done something great, or they've completed a certain assignment, we praise them when their behavior is connected with our instruction. Good job. We praise our spouses as a way of encouragement and motivation. We give praise to our coworkers for a job well done, or supervisors for taking strong stands against the head management. We sought today to praise our local heroes through prayer, our law enforcement officials, our firefighters, our military to see praise is not a foreign practice to us. We praise people. But the psalmist this morning is not asking us to direct our praise to our children. He's not asking us to direct our praise to the honeydews and the honey dips. He's not asking us to direct our praise outward towards the men and women that are out there serving. He is directing us to someone else, someone who has regularly invaded our conscious with acts of kindness. Someone who has intentionally and often reminded us that we didn't get here all by ourselves. Someone who has poured more into your life on accident than you have tried to do for yourself on purpose. Someone who has touched the strings of your emotions to tell you that you are loved and that you are cared for. You are not just a body to feed, to clothe, to bathe, for rest, for retire, or to be walked on, stepped down, run down, or tripped up. I believe you know who is at the center of the universe, and it is not your free-flowing or no-flowing locks of hair, suit-wearing, slack-wearing, dress-wearing, square-toed, round-toed, pumped-up, pumped-down, shoe-wearing, apartment-down, home, single-family home, living, full-size, mid-size, compact, truck-driving, in-between, young and old self. Did I get that all out there? That was like spoken word. The practice and language of praise belongs to Almighty God. And our praise belongs to the Lord. There is an invitation this morning to give God what he is due. I like what the old preacher said. 
Matthew Henry states, a holy joy is the heart and soul of praise and that his hair pressed upon the righteous. Thankful praise is the breath and language of the holy joy. I love praising people. There's nothing. I mean, come on. How hard is it to say you look great? You're welcome. It's not that hard to compliment somebody. It's not that hard to go. You know, just to be able to share joy and to allow joy to overflow in people's lives. I love, um, you, you know, what the word rejoice actually means is to be glad or to be merry. The Bible says in 33.1 that the righteous and the upright have a language that brings us to the heart of God. It says that it's beautiful. This means that praise to him is proper, suitable, and fitting. Do you ever just, instead of bringing your petition before him, do you ever just go to the Lord in prayer and say, I'm going to spend the next 10 minutes thanking you for all you've done. Praising you for all you've done. Just thanking you. We have such, you know... Because we're such a consumer society, we want, we want, we want, we want, we want. And the more we want, the more, more, more we want. We don't ever just stop and say, God, thank you. You gave me a vehicle that actually started this morning. You gave me air conditioning on this hot, hot weekend. You've been good to me. And so if we're going to stand as one, we need to bring up our prayers of praise to God as a nation and thank him for what he's done. Many of you, if you've never sat in our Nepali or Bhutanese community, as I was coming to, to church this morning and I saw a woman, she was walking up Tomaj Avenue and she put a, a towel over her head. And I, I just, I looked at my wife and I said, I can't stop but just reflect upon the first time they walked in this building and, and we started the services and the women come in and their heads covered and just understanding their culture but there's one thing that just moves me is that they come in here and they're one in body and spirit they come putting everything else aside i love that in 40 minutes they will be here 40 minutes early do i hear an amen 40 minutes early and they will sit and i watch people praying throughout the sanctuary it just moves me to think about the excitement of joy as they rejoice because they have a place that God is a part of. Have you made God a part of your rejoicing? In verse 3, it says a new song, a new occasion, an impulse for expressing fresh praise to God. In our nation, there should be one song. We sing in harmony, and that's the song of praise. We owe a lot to the invisible yet very visible God who continues to make his mark in every way and his footprint on every way upon our lives. He is worthy of our praise. In verse 4 and 5, it says here, For the word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth. He loves righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of goodness of the Lord. So we see here there's a rationale for praise. One, there was a prelude of praise. Now there's a rationale of praise. The Lord's sovereign power in natural history. The Bible says in verse 4 there that it talks about his works. 
And in that text, it says the Hebrew word for his works can be defined in terms as business or deeds, as doing or labor, uh, something that was made where of making occupation, things offered, operation, possession, so on and so forth. It was word used to reference the work of a skillful craftsman, weaver, or jeweler. That is no matter what God does, from labor to workmanship, it is done in truth. God loves us. And what he does for us, he does for us in word, in deed, in truth. God does the kind of work that led to Solomon in Psalms 8 to declare, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. Majesty. Worship All of God's works are characterized by faithfulness to his promises and his covenant. It says in verse 4, for the word of the Lord is right and his works are done in truth. If there is no truth or faithfulness in his work, then we are a lie and we are living a lie. So we see here that the Lord's sovereign power in his natural history. Now we see his providence over human history. Now, when I mention a specific date, I'm just going to see how intelligent some of you Jeopardy players are in the sanctuary this morning. Are you ready? We're going to see how smart and intelligent. When I mention a specific date in history, call out what the day signifies. And I'm going to see how well all of you do. December 7th, 1941. Pearl Harbor. September 17th, 1945. I'm going to make it a little harder. September 2nd, 1945. Treaty ending World War II signed in Tokyo Bay. Did somebody say that out there? Okay. November 22nd, 1963. Very good. JFK was assassinated July 20th, 1969. Oh, who said it louder? Man on the moon. Neil Armstrong steps on the surface of the moon. Look at you guys, man. That's great. Now, last, September 11th, 2001. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure, sorry about that, yeah. And uh, no, 9-11. We know that we don't have to say more. Listen, history has a way of numbering the significance of our lives so that their impact is simply recalled in the numerical date. So we we hear things and we know it. Now, for some of these dates, i got to tell you, I was born in 1970. And so up to that point, I didn't know anything. So that's why we have one in there, September 11th. It was easy for me. Everything else, I'm like, oh, my goodness. All an author needs to write is to say December 7th or September 11th, and we know what they are referring to. 911, 9-11 will never be just an emergency phone number again. And even 17 years after the fact, all you need to say is September 11th, and all of us remember the time, and we're all there once again. Yes, that's one way to number a day. But we must, be, we must go beyond a day at the time when there may be no more days for us. The Bible says our days are numbered. 
Those on the 87th floor of Tower One of the World Trade Center didn't plan on what happened. Those 300 plus firefighters who went up the stair ladder of those towers to evacuate people and never came out didn't expect would ever see their colleagues or family members ever again. Neither did the police officers that perished. We have no guarantee that our lives will not end just as abruptly someday. God's providence in human history lets us know that while we don't know how long we have, he does provide us with enough time to make a decision that will impact us for eternity and others for eternity. Commentary writer penned these words. What a pity it is that this earth, which is so full of the proofs and instances of God's goodness, should be so empty of his praises and that of the multitudes who live upon his bounty, there are so few who live to his glory. Isn't that amazing? He's so good to us, but yet so few who live for the glory of God. And now here's the response to his praise. Verses 6 through 9, we look at the creator's sovereign power. It says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breadth of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea together as in a heap. He lays up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. God's utterances created a universe out of nothing. No nation would exist without God's hand. In the beginning, God created the and the, very good. We all learn that, don't we, several times in our children's classes. I just this morning want, I want to insert this narrative. We're going to go through like the book of Job. So as I do this, this is the classic dialogue between God and Job. They're going back and forth. And at this point where God gives Job a history and science test at the same time. And you can't follow with me because I've taken sections from some of the chapters throughout Job. But I'll try to make it as real for you as I can. So then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Why are you using your ignorance to deny my providence? Now get ready to fight for I'm going to demand some answers from you and you must reply. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you know so much, do you know how its dimensions were determined? And who did the surveying? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together? And all the angels shouted for joy. Do you know the laws of the universe and how the heavens influenced the earth? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you directed? Who gives intuition and who gives instinct? Who is wise enough to number all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven when everything is dust? Do you know how a hawk soars and spreads her wings to the south? Is it at your command that the eagle rises high upon the cliffs to make her nest? Has the location of the gates of death been revealed to you? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. 
where does the light come from? How do you get there? Well, tell me about the darkness. Where does it come from? Can you find its boundaries or go to its source? But of course you know all this, for you were born before it was all created, and you are so very experienced. Have you visited the treasures of the snow or seen where hail is made and stored? For I've reserved it for the time when when I will need it for war. And in chapter 40, here's where the Lord went on. He said, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? Or will you yield? Do you, God's critics, have the answers? And here's what Job replied to him. Job replied to God, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I lay my hand upon my mouth in silence. You see, God, I have suffered much already. Do you get the message? He alone has creative sovereign power. There is no one like him. No wonder the hymn writer wrote those glowing words that we sang this morning. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. When through the woods and forest glades I wonder and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. Then sings my soul, my soul, God provide. How great thou art. How great thou art. And that is why we should praise for the awesome power of God who rules this life. So we move on. And then it says here that the creator's sovereign providence, and I'm going to pull all this in together and we'll conclude the message this morning. But I'm just wanting to drive home that I want a church and a body, a group of people that will come together and praise God. You know, throughout the week, we're already struggling. You're already going through. I mean, this week, it's been like this for some. For some, it's been like this. You've had some twists and turns and some winding roads and some bumps and some valleys and some hurdles and potholes and everything else that you've gone through. You just need God. So this July 4th weekend, as I was thinking about a message, under God, one. Hey, church, when it talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12, And Paul speaks to the church of Corinth and he says, we are all one in a body. And what you do affects the rest of the body. Now, I'll give you an illustration. Remember back when we were all just little people? And and in those days, you always, they started talking about how gossip starts to filter through, you know, your classroom. Be very careful. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to say the red apple fell from the tree. We're going to start on this side of the classroom, and it's going to go around by the end of it. The red apple never fell from the tree. Somebody ran over a red apple, hit somebody in the head with the red apple. The story just changed, didn't it? That's what happens in the church, and that's why Paul was reminding them to be very, very careful. Are we one church under God? Because what you say to somebody else can affect the rest of the body, and by the time it goes from this side of the building to that side of the building, it gets a little bit misconstrued. 
and the truth lies in the middle of where the little red apple was at. We have to be very careful, and that's why Paul was emphasizing walking in the oneness of God. Under God, America has been blessed. Are we under God? So we look at this, the creator's sovereign providence. The word providence actually means spiritual care or his protection. So in Psalms 33, verses 10 through 15, says, The Lord bringeth, and I'll be reading this. Now, some of these I've been doing out of uh, New Living Translation, some out of the KJV. It says, The Lord brings the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, and the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looks upon all inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts alike. He considers all their ways. Now watch me as I use this translation. And with a breath he can scatter the plans of all nations. They were hastened. But his own plan stands forever. His intentions are the same for every generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his own. The Lord gazes down upon mankind from heaven where he lives. He has made their hearts and closely watches every little thing they do. sharp contrast we can between mankind's shaky plans and our Lord's sovereignty for us. Greece built a civilization on culture and it failed. Rome built its civilization on power and it crumbled. The Bible states that the nation that survives is not the nation with the power Not the nation with the military might, not the nation with all the intellect, not the nation with all of the wealth, but the nation whose God is the Lord. A nation without theological reverence is not a nation whose major problem is with those who want to invade their borders, but with God whom they want to keep out of their land. A nation without God can face the same issue that Israel faced during the reign of King Asa, which was found in 2 Chronicles chapter 2. Listen closely. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah. He was the son of Obed. And he went out to meet King Asa as he was returning from battle. Listen to me, Asa. Listen, armies of Judah and Benjamin, he shouted, the Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. Whenever you look for him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time now, over in Israel, the people haven't worshipped the true God and have not had a true priest to teach them. They have lived without God's law. But whenever they have turned again to the Lord God of Israel in their distress and searched for him, He has always been there, and he has always helped his people. In their times of rebellion against God, there was no peace. Problems troubled the nation on every 
hand. Crime was on the increase everywhere. There were external wars and internal fighting of city against city, for God was plaguing them with all kinds and sorts of trouble. It was once stated that the Speaker of the House rose in a recent session of Congress and stated that no politician or government representative should take a public stand on a religious matter of any kind. And right behind him on the wall was a large plaque and the words inscribed on it, In God we trust. Wow. So I'm going to say this as I close. It's 4th of July weekend. We're celebrating our independence. It has been fun. There have been the Italian Fest and Kent Fest and every other fest and Akron Rib Fest and everybody's been fested out. And it's just fun. And you walk around and you look at one soul after another soul after another soul after another soul who need Jesus in their life. And we want to say... In God we trust. We are one nation under Almighty God, but we still haven't given Him authority and we haven't surrendered our position to say, Here you go, God. It's all yours. Take it. It's all yours. A nation without God is without moral absolutes. A nation with God is with a God who is faithful And whose word is dependable. A nation without God faces no end to external wars and internal turf fighting. A nation with God is with confident assurance that he shall deliver us in a time of trouble. A nation without God is filled with all the stress, frustration, and uncertainty in dark days. A nation with God is a nation who walks not in the fear of terrorists, but in the faith of God who can strike terror in all men. A nation without God is a nation forced to define its own peace, its own hope, its own truth. But a nation with God is a nation who rests in the timeless truth of all ages under God under God under God one nation under God are we a church under God are we a people under God submit to him today have you submitted your will and your life to him He's crying out to you today to say, listen, I love you. I gave my son to give you life. Just submit under my authority. And if you submit under God, you'll start to see God's providence, his blessings, his safety, his security, his protection upon you. If you ran away from him, be just like that prodigal son. Run, run, run back home. His arms are open wide. Let's all stand together as we stand as a church, as we stand as a community, as we stand as Americans, one nation under God.
Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. And God, we thank you that even in the midst of division, and Lord, it's always safe to say in my prayer, rather Republican, Independent, Democrat, whatever else you want to put out there. Lord, we know one thing is for certain. We as a church stand as one community under God. And so this morning, God, we cry out to you. And we ask that we as a church will be one body, functioning as one body. The Bible says that, Lord, and and I saw it in your word through Paul, that if something happens to one member, it affects the whole body. Lord, we celebrate this weekend of 4th of July. But God, our our hearts are heavy as well for a divided country that has forgotten how blessed we are. So Lord, I'll never forget this song where it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Someone's here today, Father, that needs you. May they just come running back to you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.